Welcome to the Before and After Bariatric Surgery Podcast. This is the place where we talk to people who have had weight loss surgery and successfully kept the weight off. We learn what to expect before and after surgery. We uncover the tips and tricks that will make you a success. And now, here's your host, Dan Abeling. Today we have a great guest. Bonnie had gastric bypass surgery seven years ago. She lost 150 pounds. Was it easy? Absolutely not. Was it worth it? Completely. Today we are going to discuss choosing a surgeon and something that Bonnie wasn't prepared for after surgery, hormonal changes. Bonnie, thanks for being here today. No problem. When do you first remember being aware that you were overweight? After the birth of my, I mean, you know, as a teenager, I always felt like I was, but quite honestly, I was normal. After the birth of my first son, I knew I was overweight, and I did everything I could to lose it. And then the second one came along, and I, I don't know, it just got impossible to lose. Mm-hmm. I gained about 60 with each pregnancy and kept going from there. When did you become interested in weight loss surgery? I had someone that I knew had it done, and at the time I thought, oh, wow, that seems pretty drastic. Um, But the more I researched it just to find out what she had had done, the more I thought this just sounded like the perfect tool for losing it and keeping it off, for having a lifelong tool. Tell us a little bit about researching it. Did you go online? Did you talk to your friend? What was your primary source of information? I'm old. There wasn't a whole lot of information <laughs> online when I first started looking at it. I asked yeah. my doctor, and yeah, I did go online, and I talked with, I probably talked with 15 or 20 people that had had it done and asked them a lot of the things that you're asking me. You know, how did you decide to do it? Um, why? You know, why couldn't you just lose weight by, you know, Jenny Craig or Optifast or whatever? And honestly, I researched it for a good two years before I made the decision to do it. And we had moved from the Bay Area in California up to here in, in Grass Valley, California. And I had a doctor in mind. I went to the doctor. I, I went through all of his, you know, the hoops that you have to jump through. And then my insurance changed. So I had another whole year of being able to research things before I actually got to have the surgery because I had to go through all the hoops that the new insurance required. That must have been an emotional... It was about three years. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, on average, people research typically for about a year prior to actually making that decision to have weight loss surgery. And then the process of getting approved and going through the necessary blood work, et cetera, can take up to another year. So... Once you did get approved, and it sounds like you had a doctor in mind, how'd you go about finding that surgeon? That surgeon actually was uh, just highly recommended to me by several people here in my area. That, And he ended up not being the person I ended up getting to have the surgery with. Um, because my insurance changed, he didn't take that insurance anymore. I ended The surgeon that I ended up with was suggested by him as, well, you know, you can't have me, but this guy's good too. So I actually... By that point, I was so ready to have the surgery. I was like, I don't really care who does it. Just get it done. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I didn't research my real surgeon as much as I did the one that I thought was going to do the surgery. Right. My but a recommendation surgeon, from someone you trust and yeah. have researched does definitely go a long way. Yeah. And my so real I surgeon assume... was amazing. 
um, you know, when I did go see him, he answered any questions that I had, and he answered them. I, you know, I'm one of those people that you know, I kind of know the answer before I ask the question. And mm-hmm. I I asked him all the questions, and he answered the way I expected he should answer. So I was fine with him. Do you remember, can, or can you give us an example of one of those questions you thought was a good thing to ask? I asked him, um, oh, gosh. It's been seven years. I know that I asked him what my chances of failure were, you know, and his answer was exactly how I believe that it's a tool. It's not a, it's not a cure for obesity. If you use it, you're going to succeed. And if you continue using it, you'll still succeed. If you test it every chance you get, you're probably going to fail. He explained in detail to me, I asked him to explain in detail to me, exactly what the surgery entailed. Like, show me pictures. <laughs> exactly what are you going to do to me? Um, mm-hmm. I think I asked him probably what my recovery time would be. I asked him how many patients he had had uh, with major complications. I mean, we all have some kind, what we mm-hmm. might call complications, but major complications. Um, I asked him for referrals. I mean, I asked him for references. And I called and talked with a couple of different patients that had allowed him to use him as a ref- use them as referrals. Good for you. I think that's an excellent way to go about it. And one of the things I don't think we see enough in, in the bariatric surgery industry is people reaching out to previous patients. Ultimately, I think your experience with the surgeon outside of the operating room is, is very important as mm-hmm. well. Would you? Okay. Yep, I agree. Now, my surgeon is no longer even in this country. He moved back to wherever his country of origin was. And I want to say it was Pakistan, but I'm not even sure now. Okay. You know, insurance and everything changed, and he just decided it was easier to practice outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. But his his office is still up and going. They're still doing bariatric surgery. He's just There's just a new surgeon there. Now let's fast forward a little bit to after your surgery. You had surgery. You recovered. Things went well. Things went, Correct. Oh, things went amazingly well. I woke up and actually yeah. started crying because I thought they couldn't do the surgery. <laughs> I really did. I thought, wow, they didn't do anything because I didn't hurt. Now, you know, two days later, I was saying, okay, I do hurt a little. <laughs> yeah. But when I first woke up, I really, I had no pain other than, you know, the usual gas pain that goes with surgery. When I got home, um, I tested it one time and realized that was a really stupid thing to do. My parent, I had my surgery, I think it was a week or so before Thanksgiving. My parents mm-hmm. were here to help support me, and mm-hmm. they made something, scalloped potatoes. I don't know what else they had, but I know they had scalloped potatoes. And I think I was three days out from surgery, and I took one bite of the juice from the scalloped potatoes, not even a potato, just the, you know, wow. just the liquid. And I honestly thought I was going to die. (laughs) I didn't dump or anything like that. I think I just put hot liquid down a very raw esophagus and stomach. And I thought I was going to die. So after that, I did not test my pouch at all. I am pretty darn um, picky about what goes in. There are definitely some reasons, and I think you kind of figured it out early on for that liquid diet. I think that's an important, at least for the first week, and then follow, obviously, the instructions after that. You mentioned something, too, that 
I don't think we've touched on yet in this podcast, but can you just explain what dumping syndrome is? Dumping syndrome for me, you know, it's I, apparently it's different for everyone because my girlfriend that had it done, um, she literally dumps. I mean, diarrhea and her lower stomach just gets really sick. For me, dumping is anytime, and I mean a tiny bit of sugar for me because I don't eat sugar. Anytime that I eat something that um, has too much sugar in it or too much carbs that turn into sugar, I get hot and sweaty and real spacey feeling. Almost, I'm, like I can't, my eyes won't see straight. Um, I get, my heart feels like it's racing a mile a minute. I get mm-hmm. a little dizzy and a little, uh, just just really, really uncomfortable. Um Usually that lasts about 20 minutes for me, and then it's done. Uh The other thing that will happen is if I have eaten too fast or taken too big of bites or something, I don't even half the time know what it is that caused it, is it will feel, and I see a lot of people talking about this, it feels like it gets stuck, and they get what people call the foamies, where their mouth gets all watery and they just Uh can't get that food down or up. Um, I still get that with meat. I very little meat because I just can't. It just doesn't work for me. Um, I still get that. One one person calls it the slimies and another person calls it foamies. I still yep. get that, but I don't think of that as dumping. That's more, shoot, I ate something I shouldn't have, and it either needs to right. go down or it needs to come up. Right. And some of you out there listening to this may say, well, dumping syndrome sounds horrible and the Mm -hmm. foamies and the slimies, I don't want to have gastric bypass, I'm going to go for a lap band. But frankly, those can be very good preventatives. Absolutely. You know, I think we all get to a certain weight because we have an, I shouldn't say improper, but uh, a relationship with food that isn't the right one to have and and we battle with that relationship a lot and gastric bypass having dumping syndrome when you eat too much sugar having the foamies and the slimies when you're eating too much really quickly those are good preventatives in and frankly they teach you how to eat properly it's a great deterrent yep so let's move on again because i want to really touch on this too and don't want to make this podcast go too long but Something happened to you after you lost a lot of weight, and you weren't really prepared for it. Not at all. Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. I, uh, When I had my surgery, I was 50 years old. I was what they call perimenopausal, which is, you know, getting ready to get there, but not really there yet. Um, and I lost, I don't know how long it took me to lose 150 pounds, but I lost a lot right at first, like probably 75 pounds in just a few months. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it just your fat cells is where your estrogen is stored, and when I dumped all those fat cells, I also dumped all my estrogen. So I went through, you know, menopause in about two months, um, and I went from, uh, you know, feeling sexy and having a libido to having zero libido. I mean, just like overnight, and was fully unprepared for that. I had never in all my research seen that that could happen. And I don't know if it happened because I was 50 and already ready for menopause or if it happened or if it, you know, would it, would it have happened to me at 30 if I had back gastric bypass? I don't know. But I do know that it changed my hormonal balance like 
overnight. And I really did not know that was coming. And now I read and other people say, oh, yeah, 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 that happens. And I'm like, somebody should have told me that. <laughs> would have been nice to know that. Wouldn't, wouldn't have changed anything. I would have still had the surgery. But it would have been nice to prepare because maybe I could have asked my doctors um, about hormone replacement or what could I do mm-hmm. to keep that from happening. So what I'm guessing is your next question is what can I do to what could I do to keep that from happening? I don't know, but it's a good thing to ask the doctor. Okay. Because for so be me, it just yeah, just for me, it was such a surprise that here I was, you know, size four and sexy as could be, and didn't care. <laughs> it was like whatever. Um, it just it, it was a, an adjustment not only for myself but for my poor husband. You know, 31 years of putting up with me and. He doesn't get any reward. Well, let me point out, too, because I did do a little bit of research, and there's not as much information out there as you would think about hormonal changes after weight loss surgery, but they definitely do happen. One of the things that does happen a lot of times for people who are overweight and getting to that perimenopausal age is that either they haven't had a regular period or menzies for a while, or it's non-existent totally, um, or it's irregular. And so sometimes with weight loss surgery, it actually does the opposite of what happened to you. It regulates that period. And so don't necessarily be afraid of changes in your hormonal, in your hormone balance. No, it can be a good thing. Yeah. Just be aware Um, that they could happen and and ask about them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially when you're around that perimenopausal age, it's important to note. So, Bonnie, do you have any tips or tricks just in general, not specifically about choosing your doctor or specifically about hormonal changes, but do you have any tips or tricks for someone right now listening to this that's considering weight loss surgery? Um, I think my biggest tip or my biggest, I want to say pet peeve, is people cannot look at it as a cure-all it's not a um it's not a quick fix it's not an easy fix it certainly isn't the easy way out that people say um but if you go into it with the attitude you know i see all the time people asking how long before i can eat pizza again (laughs) you can't (laughs) you You shouldn't it's not that you can't you can eat whatever you want to but if you want your tool to work for you you need to go into it with an attitude of this is a lifetime change for me and I mean it. I'm committed to sticking with my program. I'm committed to allowing my tool to tell me when I should not eat. Um, I, right. I think that's the biggest thing I see is people go into it feeling like they're going to get skinny and cute and they can eat whatever they want to and it's, it's just not true. It's right. not. It is a tool. It's not brain surgery. You know, you're not... You're getting an operation on your stomach. You're still going to feel hungry. You're still going to want to eat that pizza or that ice cream. And you can retrain your body. You can defeat your tool altogether if you want to. But if you're serious about losing the weight and keeping it off, the best thing that you can do is stick with your program, follow your program, and don't test it. Just commit to a whole new lifestyle because it is that. Bonnie, I think that's amazing advice. And I think we have to remember, too, you when you go up to the point of bariatric surgery, you're choosing something that has real risks, real complications, mm-hmm. although they're minimal. But you should be aware of that. You're putting yourself at risk to have a life-saving procedure. 
and don't take that lightly a year or two after surgery when you feel like you've mastered it, you've lost your weight, you still need to be aware that it's very possible to regain the weight. It's very possible to get uh, back into bad habits. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that person. advice. Yeah, You exactly. haven't changed your personality or your relation. You're trying. What you need to do is change your relationship with food. But if you don't work on that as well as have the surgery, you're not going to succeed. Bonnie, I love that. I think you've provided some excellent advice and frankly brought to light something that isn't discussed very often, and that's hormonal changes after bariatric surgery. So I think all of our listeners can learn from today's interview. I appreciate your time. You are very welcome. Hope I hope, hope I helped somebody. Thank you for listening to the Before and After Bariatric Surgery Podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher Radio. As always, check out the before and after photos from today's interview on obesitycoverage.com. If you'd like to be interviewed for an upcoming podcast, email us at info at obesitycoverage.com. Remember, it's never too late to get healthy.